The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Sunday, March 8, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norland is here with me. And if you listen to this podcast regularly, you likely know two things. One, San Diego State remains undefeated. And two, we typically record on Sunday nights. But when you consider Saturday was super awesome and combine it with the fact that I'll be on a plane Sunday night, just made a lot of sense for me and Deadleg to get together Sunday morning and discuss the good stuff that's happened since we last recorded. The only other option really was uh, Monday morning, and that seems stupid. So we're going to record in advance of Michigan, Maryland, Ohio State, Michigan State, Iowa, Illinois. If you're a Big Ten fan, we apologize. We'll make it up to you at some point. But again, we knew we'd largely be talking talking about things that happened Saturday on this podcast, and we didn't want to wait till Monday to do that. So here we are, and I guess I guess we'll start with the obvious thing to start with after Saturday's developments. Norlander, uh, simple question. Kamar Baldwin, Sam Merrill, Casey Alexander, kill Mary Bang. Go. Uh, I got uh, to kill Casey Alexander. I guess oh. I'll, I'll marry Mr. Baldwin, and then and then Sam Merrill has yeah. Has Wait, pl- ex- ex- explain that. I'm not like, explaining why? anything. I didn't know what you were going to ask me. So no, you're going to explain why. That's why you're starting a Sunday morning podcast. We lost an hour, springing ahead, body clocks all out of whack. You've got the coronavirus. Why you opted to start with that? Well, first off, daylight savings time is the worst. Like this is the like, this is the worst day of the year. I'm sitting here battling coronavirus at home, and I lost an hour of sleep. Like, who need, like have we ever figured out why we do this? Like, like nobody likes it, so why do we do it? Like in your in most in most people's lives, like if you decide you don't like something, you do doing that thing. Like you know what? We don't like taking the entire family out to dinner because the 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 little. I mean, it's just a disaster. So we're not going to do that anymore. If you decide you don't like something, you don't do it anymore. We don't like this. Nobody likes losing an hour. So why do we do this? Well, we shouldn't fall back to begin with, but I can't, I can't get into the details of all. I don't know why. Because they did it for the farmers back in the day. That was the whole thing with the crops, Man, right? About the farmers? It's 2020. Well, I still I, I like food, so I still care about the farmers. But, hey, we're actually fortunate that this wasn't. Do the, do the farmers make pizza rolls? Are the farmers responsible for pizza rolls? <laughs> Show me the farm where they grow pizza rolls, and maybe I'll change my opinion. Oh, In the meantime, boy. I I should be clear. I respect farmers. I don't know if you but do, but not enough. To, but not enough an hour sleep when I have coronavirus. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about that, man. You got all these. You got to get on a flight again today. 
It's <laughs> over with for me. It's, oh, it's over. Man. I had a good run. Yeah. I had a good run. Yeah. Hosted a podcast. Backup host, Time to Shine. Had a good run. It was, uh, yeah, without a doubt. Shouts to Adam Shine. Uh, normally, we get the jump ahead. The, I actually prefer it this week as opposed to, and can I tell you why? It, it's, is it the rotation uh, of, of the sun? I have no idea. The way the earth goes around the sun with our calendar, I don't know the answers to this, but I do know normally we jump ahead the night over into Selection Sunday, so we're like, that's even worse, and that's normally what's happening. But we didn't get it this year. But we're here for you, people. Anyway, you were asking about Casey Alexander and Kamar Baldwin. I don't, I, I, I don't know where you were going with that. Well, well obviously we played uh, uh, Kill Mary Bang with Mick Cronin, Ed Cooley, and John Wooden on the previous podcast. That seemed to go over well with listeners. I was just trying to tap back into that a little bit, <laughs> and I'm, and I couldn't disagree with you more on the way you handled your Kamar Baldwin, Sam Merrill, Casey Alexander situation. It sounds like. You're loyal to Rick Bird, so you want to kill Casey Alexander? Is that what's happening yeah, here? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the deal. Yes. <laughs> okay. Here, I actually, as ridiculous as this might sound, I put real thought into this. Yeah, it does. That sounds extremely ridiculous. Okay. First off, first, first things first. If you're a fan of a bubble team, and I happen to be a graduate of a bubble team, I think you have to kill Sam Merrill. Because he ruined, he, he he might have stolen your bid yesterday when he lifted Utah State to an auto bid out of the Mountain West Conference. There's a chance, at least, that if Utah State lost to San Diego State in that title game in Vegas, that Utah State would have been on the wrong side of, of the bubble. So if you're a fan of a bubble team or a graduate of a school that has a bubble team, you probably want to kill Sam Merrill. So I'm killing Sam Merrill. Now I'm down to Casey Alexander, Kamar Baldwin, and I think I'm marrying Casey Alexander – because financial stability, like he's a Division One head basketball coach with a bright future, like I, 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 I feel like you know you, that's something that's impo- at my age. It's something you need to consider when you find a partner, a, a life partner. So I'm going to marry Casey Alexander, and then, uh, you know, I got to guess I got to do it with Kamar Baldwin. I, I guess I guess you do. I mean, for me, uh, I like I like a guy who averages sixteen four and three been one of the you know 20 to 25 best players in, in college basketball this season and hits just an outrageous shot uh, just uh, that was a great great finish there for uh for butler to to put xavier squarely on the bubble x-men now the seven seed gonna play the 10 depaul in the big east opening round and uh xavier can't afford in my opinion to lose that game they will not be in the end of the tournament if they don't win that so baldwin got a big shot there and then you mentioned merrill uh, Utah State gets the first automatic bid um, by by defeating yes by defeating San Diego State and that was uh, that shot was just that was wild uh, and then Malachi Flynn almost actually hit the like forty four footer to uh, to send it into OT but it did not quite fall uh, so shots to Utah State eliminates all all doubt on what was. GP Saturday was the best day of the season so far, given the types of endings, the big shots, auto bids that were on the line, dramatic comebacks, big post-game moments, all of that stuff. Um, I thought it was just a fantastic day from basically noon to nearly midnight. It it was awesome. So let me just walk you through some of the bullet points, and then we'll just take it wherever we take it. So obviously Sam Merrill hit a game-winning three-pointer to punch Utah State's ticket to the NCAA tournament. That was awesome. Kamar Baldwin hit a uh, game-winning three-pointer to lift Butler past Xavier. 
That was awesome. Casey Alexander used a backdoor play to get Belmont past Murray State and in, 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 into the NCAA tournament. That was awesome. Shouts to Dylan Willner's uncle. Creighton, Villanova, and Seton Hall tied for the Big East title. Everybody gets a banner. Kansas won an outright Big 12 championship. Meantime, Baylor lost again. So the Bears are just 2-3 and three in their past five games. Kentucky beat Florida inside Walsh Anderson Arena without Ashton Hagens. Obi Toppin went between his legs for a dunk. Dayton improved to 29-2. and two. Florida State's your outright ACC champ. First league title for the Seminoles since they won the Metro in 1989, mm-hmm. which doubled as a Taylor Swift album. Virginia beat Louisville to extend its winning streak to eight games. Duke completed the regular season sweep in North Carolina while Greg Anthony was arguing on Twitter with UNC fans about Cole Anthony. Bruce Pearl killed Tennessee in Knoxville inside Aaron Craft Arena, so on and so forth. If you don't mind... Like I said, let's just bounce around. Lots of good stuff from Saturday. What's your favorite thing that happened on Saturday? Uh, I th- I think it's one you didn't mention. Uh, Oklahoma roaring back from down 20 in a must-win game to win at TCU. Austin Reeves having the best game of the day of any player, going for 41, including hitting uh, a big mid-range jumper in the closing second to to give it up uh, it's between that and the other one that you didn't mention unless I you had a lot in there so I was trying to keep track Rutgers getting its second win away from Quincy Doobie Pavilion beating a Purdue team that probably needed to win that game to have any hopes that large I think Purdue's gonna have to win the Big Ten tournament now in order to get into the NCAA tournament and so for Rutgers locking up the bid and that was a great game that was a top three game of Saturday thought that was really good and then Oklahoma, it's not totally safe, but then it helped itself out there because you had a number of teams uh, in bubble positions that wound up helping themselves, obviously, for the better between Rutgers, Oklahoma, USC. Like the USC-UCLA game was low scoring. Jonah Matthews was awesome. Onyeka Okonwu was a beast. And even then, they UCLA almost tied that one at the buzzer with the last second shot. Um, they were able to get, they were able to get a win there. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are some of the ones that stood out. By the way, uh, Cincinnati won another thriller again. Cincinnati is still in the mix for the tournament, so we had a lot of teams that really uh, benefited their case. But there was a ton there. I mean, I those are some of the ones that stood out for me. For you, what? Uh, and the OVC title game is always awesome. I mean, it is almost always awesome. I saw you mentioned Belmont. And Murray State kind of it just become it's become like this tradition uh, where it's that Saturday before Selection Sunday, eight days prior. They always seem to be the ones meeting in the OVC tournament and giving us a great game, and they wound up giving us that again. And I do feel for Matt McMahon and Murray State, even though they won the league the past two years, now they go from like a, a play away from being in the NCAA tournament to. If you really look at Murray State's profile, pairs, like it is a good team, but I can't see it. I can't see it getting into the NIT. I just think there's going to be too many other teams that have stronger profiles. So you go from almost in the tournament to probably CIT or CBI, which is which is rough for the for the racers. I think my favorite thing was the OBC title game, and it's been like in years past decades past you look forward to the last regular season of, of college basketball Re- last weekend of the regular season it's like oh duke north carolina again and last night i was traveling yesterday so i didn't get home till about the time the ovc title game was starting and it's like duke carolina's on and murray state belmont's on and i can watch by you know i have multiple tvs i can watch whatever i want but like 
I was more interested in Murray State Belmont than Duke North Carolina by a wide margin. Yep. And then the game was just awesome again. It comes down to the final seconds. They run an incredible set in the final, you know, nine seconds to create a backdoor bucket that secures a trip to the NCAA tournament. That really has become, um, like, listen, all of these. If we assume the OVC is a one bid league, and it it is, um, all of these one bid leagues, the title games are are awesome because I mean you, you can't have a higher stakes conference tournament title game than a than a title game in a one bid league. But the OVC title game has sort of carved out a little place for itself. Like Saturday night, last weekend of the regular season, uh, you know, yeah, there's going to be some other games going on in power conferences. But that feels like it's, with all due respect to Duke, North Carolina, I know from a television ratings perspective, it'll never pass that. But that OVC title game has become awesome. And it's a lot, a lot of it's tied to, to Belmont and Murray State delivering every time out. Without a doubt, and uh, that was a beautiful backdoor cut. Casey Alexander, a longtime uh, you know, Rick Bird disciple, if you will, and then he went to Lipscomb, uh, and then took the took the Belmont job once Rick Bird decided uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna play some golf and enjoy my life. I'm I'm all set. And he was Rick Bird was on sideline last night, and of course, I mean, of course, I was conversing with the man, uh, and he said he said the entire day, even though he's uh, you know not uh, not officially uh, on the bench anymore or anything like that. So the entire day was just as stressful as always, and the game is really really tough. But uh, but it was an amazing feeling and. Uh, and yeah, that's got to feel great for him because there's still so many of his players that are involved there. Um, so shouts to Belmont for getting back to the tournament. Remember last season, lost but got the uh, at-large bid, went to Dayton, got a win, and then made it into the first round before getting knocked out. Utah State, meanwhile, secures itself a bid. I actually think that quad 1A win is going to be worth enough where you're going to see Utah State on the 10 line when Selection Sunday comes. I don't think that they're going to be moved off of that at all. Uh, so we had we had two that were locked up there. And then as GP mentioned at the top, if if you have a rhythm to your podcast schedule, uh, we are doing this Sunday morning for the benefit of both of our schedules. I've got to do HQ all day on Sunday. GP's got to travel. He's doing uh, the CAA stuff for CBS Sports Network. And so that's why we won't have... Uh, Missouri Valley uh, final uh, amidst the other ones that are going to be handed out here on on Sunday. So um, I did want to mention Wisconsin. See, a couple teams that have been like really, really hot as of late. Wisconsin, Virginia, Belmont's won, I think, 12 in a row. Providence won again. But to me, Wisconsin, while Virginia deserves some recognition for what they were able to do, and they beat Louisville, and they're, they're the two seed in the ACC tournament, it's just it's it's frankly it's incredible and Kihei Clark is a killer. He had another big shot. Wisconsin has just not risen from the dead, but landed in a spot that no one thought conceivable whatsoever. Okay, now at twenty-one and ten, after it was thirteen and ten, you know Kobe King leaves the program. Uh, Micah Potter wasn't available at the start of the season. With him, it's been a different team. They're now top twenty and adjusted defensive efficiency, and they win at Indiana. But prior to that, had beaten tournament teams Ohio State, Rutgers, and Michigan. And they are comfortably in the field and going to be a top two seed in the Big Ten tournament. They do this, and and Greg Gard mentioned this after the game, uh, they beat Indiana by four, and they, they do this amid not having Howard Moore, their assistant coach, who tragically lost his daughter and wife in a car accident 
last summer. Uh, his son survived, and Howard survived uh, and had initially planned to coach with the team this season and then uh, had uh, a medical setback. So he has taken the entire season off, understandably, and they win, and they win by four, four more, which has been kind of a rallying cry for this team this season. So that was just something I wanted to highlight quickly on the podcast because the Badger story is crazy unlikely and obviously extremely emotionally charged. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're nine and two in their last eleven, and I, I guess actually nine and one in their past ten. But I go back to the eleventh game because um, they, they played eleven games since Kobe King quit the team, mm-hmm. and they're nine and two in those. Um, you know, it, which is not somebody, something that I expected them to do. I mean, you don't usually get better when your second leading scorer quits on you midseason. Um, he did, and then. Uh, they did. So that's uh, obviously a tremendous story. And if you got even a little bit of a heart, you you root for that Wisconsin team because of, of what it's been through. Uh, you know, we, we spent a lot of time, you know, since the end of January discussing the loss that uh, Vanessa Bryant and her family have, have suffered because it's obviously a high profile thing. It, it's not unlike what Howard Moore has gone through. You know, you lose your wife, you lose a child. I mean, it's just, ugh, you, you can't even imagine. And so, for that Wisconsin program to to have to deal with that and the um, the the emotional toll that it takes for them to be playing this well, you know, heading into the Big Ten tournament, it's a it, it's a it's a really 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 uh, nice story. Um, in the Big East, like I mentioned, uh, we've got a three team tie at mm-hmm. the top. That's because Creighton uh, blew out Seton Hall in Omaha. And so uh, that uh, tied those guys in the standings. And then Villanova edged Georgetown at Georgetown. So again, Creighton, Villanova, Seton Hall tied for first in the Big East East standings. They all get banners. And I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you saw Kevin Willard's uh, postgame comments, but obviously this time last week, they looked like they were going to win an outright title. And then they lose midweek at home and then lose the regular season finale on the road. And the point Kevin made was, you know, this is an amazing accomplishment. It, it, we're sitting here on a two-game losing streak. We're still Big East champions. Like, that's a great thing. And he was like, I, I got a locker room full of guys that don't feel that way right now. It's a weird thing to mm-hmm. win a league title and yet feel like a total failure. And he was trying to figure out um, how to how to balance those two things. Like, the, the, the past week went as poorly as it could go, but we need to wake up on Sunday and realize we're Big East champs. You know, we're going to be a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. Like, that's that's not something to feel bad about. He actually said, I'm going to get home tonight. I'm going to open up a bottle of wine with, you know, and, and have a glass with my wife, my wife and we're going to celebrate. Because we did something nice here. Even if, you know, we, we sort of squandered an opportunity to make it even nicer than it otherwise would have been. I just thought it was an interesting perspective. Yeah, and I know Seton, <laughs> I know Seton Hall fans don't feel the same because I think they really wanted that standalone title, and there have been many instances over the years, not just under Kevin Willer, but over the years where um, they've had high hopes since 93, and the Pirates have found ways to let them down. So I did notice, <laughs> I did happen to notice in my mentions uh, that there have been some uh, – Grand disappointments and some frustrations with what Willard was saying there. But you get the banner. But here's the thing, man. Since literally the, the preseason and then once once Big East play activated and Seton Hall started off uh, with its best uh, start in Big East play in program history, the Pirates have been in the one spot 
every single day of the season until the final day of the regular season. And they go from the one to the three by nature of the results there. Uh, so they will now be the three seed, obviously still capable of winning the Big East tournament, no doubt about it, and they'll they'll show out well. And I look forward to seeing them at MSG. But now Creighton is the one seed, Nova is the two, Seton Hall is the three, as we laid out for you on the Friday pod, and I did predict it would go just that way, and so here we are. Creighton, by the way, was just outstanding <laughs> that win. Uh, the Big East now is in a situation where you know, Seton Hall definitely on the three line. Um, Creighton has a Creighton has a case to be on the two as far as I'm concerned at this point. Nova is right there as well. So uh, depending on how that bracket shakes out, yeah, I mean, you can have three teams that could be three seeds or better. Um, if there was a flame out for Seton Hall, it could be on the four. That's that's certainly within the, the realm of possibility there. But um, credit to those. You know, you, you don't often get three-way ties atop the, uh, a major conference. It's not something that's all that common, but we did have it there. And um, and I just I was really Marcus Agaraski who left with who left with uh, an injury. I don't have an update as of this morning, but hopefully he'll be okay because um, he he and Tyshawn Alexander make for just an extremely vital one-two combo. Uh, but yeah, they got uh, they got some big wins, and I just wanted to get, uh, give a quick shout while we're in the Big East to a stat I was I knew but I forgot I knew and was reminded of uh, late on Saturday night after. Kamar Baldwin was a stud of studs and and beat off Xavier. So Xavier, uh, phrasing um, Xavier losing that game wound up go- getting to eight and ten in league play. And Jeff Walner tweeted out this stat. Uh, a local writer out of Cincinnati said, uh, with the loss, the longest active streak for any Division One team finishing five hundred or better in conferences over. Xavier had done it thirty seven straight seasons so uh that's a remarkable streak that's come to an end xavier's now 19 and 12 and as i said before it needs to beat DePaul in order to be uh comfortably into the ncaa tournament and oh by the way providence did beat DePaul to extend its win streak to six games i think the friars are probably good no matter what they're going to play butler on thursday uh in the big east quarters Marcus Zagorowski, obviously half-brothers with Michael Carter-Williams, just like Jalen Crutcher, half-brothers with Killian Tilly. Right, exactly, yes. <laughs> um, Florida State, uh, you know, we don't spend a lot of time talking about the Seminoles on mm-hmm. here because they, they rarely have a, a National Player of the Year candidate. Everybody averages 11 points per game on the team every year. <laughs> every year, leading score averages 11 points per game. Or like, I, I'm joking, but it's like – right. When you look at a Florida State box score, they almost always look the same. Not necessarily the players who do it, but somebody scores 14 and everybody else scores nine. Like that, that's the Florida, that's your typical Florida State box score. Um, they win on Saturday, uh, beat Boston College by 18, and your Florida State Seminoles are your outright ACC champions. That's awesome. I mean, Leonard Hamilton is in a league with Mike Shesky, Hall of Famer. Um, Hall of Famer Jim Beheim, Hall of Famer Roy Williams, National Championship Coach Tony Bennett. I mean, that's a league where it's very easy to get overshadowed by your coaching peers. And yet, Leonard Hamilton finds himself, you know, sitting here 26 and 5 overall, 16 and 4 in the league, outright ACC champs. It is the first league title for Florida State since um, 1989 which is just an incredible accomplishment. That's a quote-unquote football school, but 
Leonard Hamilton, while overshadowed in his own league by his coaching peers and by big basketball brands, he's turned Florida State into one of the most reliable winners in the sport. And for him to get an outright ACC title is really, really awesome. It's terrific. And I don't think people realize that Leonard Hamilton is top five winningest coach in ACC history. Like, he is up there with the greats. He has been um, just absolutely magnificent in what he's been able to do. Uh, and at this point, he's won, geez, he's won 163 ACC games. He's been at Florida State since 2002. Um, and this is the golden age. And, you know, you've got Florida State now for the fourth straight season with at least 23 wins, going to make the NCAA tournament for a fourth straight season. That previously happened under Hamilton from 2009 to 2012. They only had one Sweet 16 run in there. This one is already guaranteed to be better because it's included uh, a second-round appearance, an Elite Eight appearance, and a Sweet 16 appearance. This FSU team, even if it only say makes a Sweet 16, um, this is this is the stuff right here. And for Florida State in general, um, it's I, I remember talking to Trent Forrest at ACC Media Day, and um, he just had. <laughs> Uh, a liveliness and a confidence and optimism because I was I was talking to him about uh, the players they lost and and how he thought the team was shaping up. He's like, oh no, yeah, like we we can be the best team in the league. And it wasn't just like every every person says that. He's like, no, like after like what I've seen the past two weeks in practice, yeah, this is uh, this group is just as good as last year's group. And you'll recall last year's group was pretty good. Um, most notably, losing Fiondu Cabin Gelly, but for Florida State. You know, it's still got a shot at a one seed if it can win the ACC tournament. And it's the standalone champs uh, in the league. And I'm glad you brought up the Metro because I think I meant to mention that on the Friday pod and I neglected to. Uh, the Metro Conference references have been frequent. I love it. I can't get enough of it. And the fact that FSU last won a regular season title thir- you know, 31 years ago and it was in the Metro. They finally get it here. And they have uh, proven to be the best team in the ACC for the majority of the season, so it was a it was a you know, no surprise with the outcome. Just it was just BC, whatever. But uh, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, a good a good note on them. And since we're in state, GP, you know, Florida. A couple teams had just horrendous losses on Saturday. Florida being one of them because Kentucky doesn't have Hagens. Florida's up big. Quickly fouls out. Nick Richards wound up having a good game. And credit to Kentucky for providing a win under those circumstances very impressive but the Gators just they're going to get into the tournament but I'm almost and this is how you get burned in the bracket but I'm almost convinced like no matter who they get faced up against I'm not picking them like it doesn't it doesn't matter the team that's in front of them I I don't know if I can pick Florida to win a game in the NCAA tournament that was a brutal loss a brutal loss and again we had like three or four instances on Saturday where a team had a last second shot near midcourt and it almost went in. Andrew Nembhard being another one of those, um, but they that they take the loss, and that was just that was rough for their seed prospects and rough for a Florida team that just unfortunately preseason top ten has not been anything close to that. They, they haven't beaten a top forty Kimpom team all season. They're zero and six when they play top forty Kimpom teams. Like they, they're just. They they are what they are, like respectable computer numbers. But when you put them on the court against a good team, they don't win. And and I, I I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or if I talked about it somewhere else, but like on paper, because some people say, well, you overrated them in the preseason. I don't think so. On paper, they look like a top ten team. They returned interesting right. pieces. 
They added an incredible grad transfer in Kerry Blackshear, and then they they enrolled two five stars, Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann. Like when if I tell you you're returning good pieces from an NCAA tournament team, you're getting the best grad transfer on the market, who like projected as an All American type guy, and he hasn't had a bad season. He's averaging thirteen and eight, Kerry Blackshear, and then you're going to get two five star guys, one of whom is a projected lottery pick. That's a preseason top ten team on paper. And uh, again, nothing's as simple as you make it out to be. But you know, Scotty Lewis is averaging eight and a half points a game. Trey Mann's averaging five point three points per game. The biggest problem for Florida, based on preseason expe- expectations to where they are right now, their five stars haven't performed like five star prospects typically perform, particularly one and done projected guys. And that that's why they are what they are. But I'm with you. I don't I don't think I'd pick them against anybody. It, Based on where they're going to be in the bracket, first-round matchup, I don't know why I would pick them against anybody. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, and just uh, so folks realize, the S- here's how the SEC uh, – so the bracket is Kentucky is a one. Uh, Auburn is the two. Auburn beat Tennessee GP, I think that was. So many games. So hard beat, to Beat the brains in inside Aaron Craft Arena. There you go. There you go. LSU is the three. And then Mississippi State, the most – a homogenous, anonymous power conference team that's like an NCAA tournament, con- you know, at-large contender, I guess, is the four. Florida, because of the loss, it slips to the five, and it will get the winner, and this will be on Thursday in the SEC tournament, it would get the winner of Ole Miss, Georgia. But other than that, the SEC uh, tournament just doesn't uh, it doesn't provide a ton of compelling stuff. Now, Mississippi State's going to be in a, in a situation where it can play its way into the NCAA tournament, and that's pretty much it because Kentucky's a lock, LSU's a lock, Auburn's a lock. Florida, I think no matter what, is a lock. Mississippi State has some work to do. Um, can we just mention real quick, like, I think the most vexing, like, WTF result of Saturday. What do you think that was? What do you think was the most, like, what the hell's going on here result was on Saturday? What do you think I'm going to say? Nothing pops into my head. Dude. Texas losing at home to Oklahoma State. Oh, of course. Like, what are you doing? Shot. Like, you you'll know this because I, you and I either texted or talked off off air. But I was like, you know, if if you know, when, I, I don't even think I said if. I said like when Texas beats Oklahoma State on Saturday, I feel like I'm going to write a column about Shaka. Just like, listen, they're returning uh, everybody from a team that's playing well down the stretch. Um, Probably going to be preseason top twenty-five. Like all this shock is smart, you know. Should Texas make a coaching change, stuff should be put to bed. Um, like, why would you pay millions of dollars to to break up what's going to be a preseason top twenty-five team? And by the way, I still believe every word of that. Like, I, I don't think Shaka, I, I don't think Shaka should be replaced at Texas coach. I think he should coach the Longhorns next season. But you can't write that column after you get your brains beat in by Oklahoma State. You can't. And at home. Against a bad Oklahoma State team. Just a horrible loss, dude. Horrible. Brutal, brutal, brutal loss. So they are now... Here's where Texas, as of Sunday morning, and I think all of these have refreshed properly. Here's where Texas ranks in all of the metrics on the team sheets. 68 in the net. 42 KPI. 36 strength of record. We'll get to more strength of record in a few here. And then the predictive ones. BPI at 69. Ken Palm at 60. Sagarin at 47. That is a, just a terrible, terrible loss for the Longhorns, who are now five and eight in Quad One, 
two and four in quad two, and then twelve and zero combined in quad three, quad four. The fact that Texas doesn't have a truly bad loss is the only thing saving the Longhorns at this moment. But they have to win their next game, which brings me to the fact that I think well, we don't know yet. Uh, the Big Ten, the American. And I think, is that it, GP, in terms of the uh, the leagues with the power of leagues with multiple bids? I think those are the only two brackets we don't have. So the 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 only game in those leagues that is going to provide something urgent and like must-watch, do or die, is the Big 12 on Thursday. This is the first tip in that league. You will have four-seed Texas playing against five-seed Texas Tech, that is at 12.30 Eastern on Thursday. We'll obviously talk about that on our next podcast as well. But the loser of that is done. The loser of that game is not going to the NCAA tournament uh, because Texas Tech, it, you know, I've mentioned it uh, plenty of times on HQGP, and it, it's 10-13 and 13 combined quad 1, 2, and 3. I have a hard time believing if the Red Raiders were to lose to Texas that a 10-14 and 14 record uh, in that regard. We're talking Q3 as well because Texas Tech has uh, has a couple of okay wins, but on the whole, uh, it's it's got some issues. I don't know. I, I find that to be the, the one must-watch game. It's, it's net ranking is good, but when you have had 13 opportunities against quad one teams and you're 3-10, and 10, I think you just start to drift into – a bit of a rough, a rough territory when you've played that many good teams and you've proven to be incapable of winning that many times. I think that they uh, they got to get a win. Obviously, Texas Tech losing at home in a good game, a close game, but nevertheless a loss against Kansas. Which, uh, oh, by the way, just a quick a quick aside. Kansas is your lock for number one overall seed. Kansas can lose its first Big Twelve tournament game. It does not matter what happens. It doesn't matter if Baylor wins the Big Twelve. Kansas will be the number one overall seed on Selection Sunday. By the way, I'm with you on Texas Tech. Um, I, I, I don't understand like two weeks ago, they were ranked in the AP poll and I didn't have them ranked in the top 25 and one based on the way I do things. And I'd get uh, a, a tweet from a Texas tech fan and they'd say, oh, Hey, well, what about the red Raiders? And I'd, I'd go, Ooh, maybe I need to look at them again. You know, maybe, maybe I'm missing something. And I'd look and I go, Nope, that's not a, that they are not good. Uh, I mean, they, you know, they've got good predictive metrics, I guess, but like the body of work is not good. And this is one of the teams that, that Jerry Palm and Joe Lenardi totally disagree on. Palm, and I'm, I'm not just siding with Palm because he's our colleague. Like, I, I feel like I'm more in line with his way of thinking on Texas Tech. He's got him out of the bracket right now. Yeah, uh, I'd have him out too. Lenardi's got him as a nine seed. That's <laughs> there's no way that's justifiable. There's no I mean, that, way. That's a top. That's a top thirty-six team. There's there's no way you can justify um, a, 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 a Texas Tech having a top thirty-six body of work right now. Um, so like I, I I do think what you said is likely true that the loser of Texas Texas Tech in the Big Twelve tournament is not getting in the tournament. But if you if you just trust Lenardi and trust the bracket he's got up right now, a loss to Texas would not knock. A loss to Texas is not going to lock uh, knock Texas Tech out of it, out of Lenardi's bracket, or at least it, it shouldn't based on where he has him right now. Here are Texas Tech's best wins. Great win on a neutral at MSG against Louisville. I was there. I saw it. That's the best win. Then they've won at Texas. They've won at Kansas State. Have a home win against West Virginia, home win against Oklahoma, 
And that's it. I mean, there's just not a lot there, and there's a lot of losses at this point. 18 and 13. A loss to Texas would be 18 and 14. You are right on that four games above 500 threshold, which has uh, been proven true over the years, where you got to be at least four games over 500 to get in that large. I'm just not seeing it, and I'm definitely not seeing it anywhere close to being a nine seed at this point. I'm not even convinced Texas, by beating Texas Tech, is going to be safely in the field. Texas, the Longhorns uh, would need to, and they might play. I don't have the bracket in front of me anymore. I closed out the window. I think if they the winner of that game plays Kansas, obviously. So uh, a win there would certainly lock in the Longhorns if they were to win two in a row. But I'm not sure one just one win alone would get the job done. That was just a that was the worst loss of Saturday, and there were some there were some tough losses, some rough losses, but the the worst one by far was Texas just like doing a complete 180 uh, and and just taking on a horrible L. Looking at Texas Tech right now, ten and thirteen in quadrant in in the first three quadrants. Ten and thirteen, you're under. How can you be under five hundred in the first three quadrants? Three games under five hundred, right? In the first and, and get to the NCAA tournament, especially if you lose to Texas. Now you're going to be 10 and 14 in the first three quadrants. Nobody 10 and 14 in the first three quadrants should be in the NCAA tournament. That's not going to – I just can't. I can't I can't see it happening. I just – not not at all. So uh, so we'll wait and see. Um, other than that, man, it was a loaded day. Before we get to uh, some one-seed chatter, anything else to you on just a stacked Saturday, wire-to-wire standout? Nothing that we won't get to when we discuss one seeds momentarily, but I did want to ask you this, if only because it got stuck in my head last night when I was prepping. Yep. I, I, so I, I, Florida State wins the outright ACC title, first league title since uh, 1989. Um, immediately, a Taylor Swift album pops into my head. Mm. And then you look at the de- – okay, this is – 1969, Brian Adams makes that year famous. 1979. Smashing Pumpkin song. Yeah. Nineteen eighty nine Taylor Swift album. Yeah. Nineteen ninety nine Prince song. Yeah. What is it with the nines in the decades that artists like to reference so much? Well, you know, it's the end of an era, so you're you're wistful for the uh, for what might come or what, what what might be, but then it then it ends. By the way, there's nothing with two thousand nine. I know. That's, I thought about that. There's, there's nothing with two thousand nothing with twenty nineteen either. Don't get what it. Are what are we doing? And then, and by the way, you missed, uh, you missed, uh, oh, come on, man, a Gaslight Anthem, 59 sounds, so you even missed 59, so, yeah, you got, a, you got five straight decades of, of the nines, good question, all right, let's, uh, so you got Gaslight Anthem, you've got Brian Adams, Summer 69, some, and then uh, um, uh, you got Smashing Pumpkins, and you got Cool Kids Never Have the Time, you got Taylor Swift, 89, and then you got Prince, so we're going to power rank I'm going to power rank those artists. I'd go Prince 1. I'd go, uh, for me, I'd go Gaslight Anthem 2. I'd go Pumpkins 3, Swift 4, Brian Adams 5. That's my power ranking. I think I'd go but Prince, out of respect. Prince number 1. I mean, it's 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 a runaway. Like, yeah. Yeah. Ninth, uh, Summer 69 is a super famous song. It is. It is. And it's a catchy, like people crap on it because, like, you know, I don't people think crap they do. on it. I think, I think, I think it's, it's a catchy song. I know. I, I, all right, I know. I got gotcha. you. You know the Ryan Adams story, right? Yes. yes. About summer '69. Yes. So I, I was the the show where that like incident happened. I was at that show. Oh, were you really? So we're in Nashville at the Ryman, which is just an amazing place to see a show. It's a Ryan Adams show. It's me and my wife. 
are there, my buddy, Corey Brandon. We, we had about five or six people, and we we went up to Nashville to see uh, Ryan Adams. And um, I stuck a whole jalapeno in my eye mm. day of. Sounds good. Somebody dared me to do it for $5. That doesn't sound worth it for $45 or $145. Big mistake. Big mistake. Yeah. Big mistake. I, 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 but perhaps this goes without saying, but don't stick a jalapeno <laughs> directly on your eyeball ever. I thought I was going blind. I thought I, was, thought I, was, I thought it was over. I thought it was, so we were in an Italian restaurant because we were eating pizza. That's where the uh, jalapenos came from. And uh, I don't know. We'd been drinking. That probably goes without saying as well. And somebody was like, uh, are, are those jalapenos hot? And I said, uh, I don't think – no, they're not, they're not that hot. And they're like, they're not hot. Are you sure they're not hot? I'm like, they're not hot. I'd stick them on my eyeball. They're not hot at all. And somebody's like, I'll give you $5. You stick that jalapeno in your eyeball. I was like, okay. The challenge accepted. I take the jalapeno stick it directly on my pupil. I mean like touch my pupil with it. And almost immediately, I knew this was a bad mistake. So I felt like my eyeball was coming out, and I didn't know what to do. I'd never been in this situation before where I'd burn my eyeball with a uh, jalapeno. And so my friends start telling the, um, the, the nice lady who works there, um, hey, do you have something like he, he, he's burning? And they were telling her my eyeball's burning. Well, reasonably, she didn't assume that they – and she didn't speak Engl- much English – so there was a communication breakdown a little bit. She didn't uh, assume that my eyeball was burning. She assumed my mouth was burning, that I ate a jalapeno and my mouth was burning. And so she was like, oh, here, take this, take this. She starts handing me pita bread. <laughs> so I take the pita bread, stick it on my eyeball. It does nothing. <laughs> it's just a waste of time. And so there's actually a picture. I should find it. You should put it in the Twitter uh, preview. There's a picture of my eyeball dead red. After uh, send, after sticking a jalapeno on it, you gotta find it. You gotta send I, it to me. If I can find it, I'll send it to you. So um, so then we end up. I get my eyeballs all back to mostly normal. We end up at the show, and Ryan Adams had been through this thing where people were kept asking him to play Summer of '69 because Brian Adams, Ryan Adams, and for some reason people think that's funny. And some guy yells out, "He plays Summer of '69." The guy was four rows in front of us. And Ryan Adams stops the whole show and he's like, get him out of here. Just get him out of here. And like like, hands the guy 50 bucks like, hey, this should cover your ticket. Just get out of here. It was a big incident. It was. It it did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So then he – okay. So then that was show. Then that was amazing. Fast forward 15 years or whatever. He was at Ryman a few years ago and he actually covered Summer 69. Yeah. Went full full uh, circle. Yep. That was – Okay. So I'm I'm ranking them. 1999 – um, party like it's 1999, Prince. I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm not asking you to rank the songs. I was uh, your preference and artist. That's what I did. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Preference and artist. Prince one. Yeah. World is a vampire. I grew up on Smashing Pumpkins. I love Smashing Pumpkins, but yeah, I'm going Smashing Pumpkins. Okay, okay Smashing Pumpkins two. Taylor Swift three. I can do it. You're not that familiar with the Gaslight Anthem, are you? Yeah, I don't listen. I haven't listened to much. So, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I would just – you They're could good. put the Brian Adams and Gaslight Anthem in any order. Taylor Swift, by the way, playing at the Final Four. At the Final Four? Yeah, she is. Unless she cancels. Unless Corona cancels it for us all. Good. That actually, like – maybe save it for – I mean, that's that's becoming a thing here. Like, you got D3 games with no people in attendance. You got NBA, NHL separating the media from the players. So we'll see how this advances with coronavirus. But it is emerging as a significant daily 
news story, uh, obviously for the globe, but in terms of sports and college basketball specifically, like it, it has the capacity to change relatively quickly. Like, you know, I'm supposed to cover the Big East tournament later this week at Madison Square Garden and go to the A-10 and, and cover that. And, uh, you know, as plans as of now are that fans will be attending those events and things will go on as planned. Um, but we'll see how fast, uh, how fast things, things spread with all that. Uh, you know, NCAA has no desire to not allow fans to uh, – that, that would be an all-time weird thing. Like, if you had the tournament held – with nobody in the stands, that would be bizarre. Um, but we'll, we'll wait and see. The, the, the Final Four still a month away, Parrish. That that if this thing spreads like crazy, like it, it, I'm not, I don't think it's impossible. I, I I think that it is. It is certainly. We talk about putting. I don't know what the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium holds, but you know, putting what like seventy-five thousand people in a, in a in a building like that, and if it's if Georgia is is in a spot where it's you know widely spread it's 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 something that's still out there well they they do have confirmed cases in atlanta you know now confirmed it's only cases a, in almost a, every single state i got the connecticut got his first confirmed case with the nurse in a hospital that 35 minutes from where i live i i feel like i'm a confirmed case well you're you're actually not because because literally it has not been confirmed but i know you i, I feel like i confirmed it myself yeah he, he perish i should <laughs> Parrish calls me no, last let, night. Let me I wish I could pl- play the voicemail on the podcast, <laughs> sounding like death, being like, <clears throat> "Hey man, I got I got Corona." But um, I, the, I, and, uh, and let me be clear: we should not be joking. Like people are actually dying. We shouldn't be joking about coronavirus. Like pe- somebody like lost a dad and a mother and a sister and a brother and a husband and all that stuff. This you know over the past week. So like, um, like it, it's it's obviously serious. Um, and I do not believe I have coronavirus, but I have I did develop a cough. A pretty serious cough over the past three days, and I'll tell you, like I don't feel bad. I'm just coughing. I don't feel bad. I don't have a temperature. I I ju- I'm ju- I just have a cough, but it is weird now. You get on a plane mm-hmm. and you start coughing, mm. and people freak. People look at you, like I was self um, conscious yesterday flying home, because um, you know I would just I would I would I had a cough, and I I don't think I'm spreading anything. Uh, you know, like I don't think I have coronavirus. But I've noticed people like they look at you. People look at you a little differently now when you cough on a plane. And so I was, you know, I was, I don't know, it's just a weird feeling. I felt, I felt guilty of something. It's not just that; it's the cough and it's your neck. I think people are like, "What's a guy <laughs> with that kind of neck coughing like that?" Yeah. For? What if they weren't looking at me because they I was coughing? They just were trying to figure out why my waist size and neck size are basically the same. Thing. It's, that, it's that ratio, man. It's that ratio. Real quick, before, yeah. Uh, before, before we go to the one, I did have to mention one more bad loss, uh, and that's Marquette, which has dropped six of its past seven games. Its only win was at home against a Georgetown team that's not even going to go to the NIT, and so now. Marquette will play Seton Hall in the in the quarters at the Big East on Thursday, and Marquette's going to get in, but they are just they have just completely just gone sideways, like bad, bad, bad stuff there. And um, you know Marcus Howard because of what we saw with Obi Toppin, Yudoka Azubuki, and even Luca Garza in recent days, like Marcus Howard, unfortunately, he is going to probably wind up leading the nation in scoring for a Power Conference team in the tournament, but he's not going to win National Player of the Year. Yeah. Um. No, I mean, you can't win it on a team that that spirals in this in this way. Um, you you know, Trey Young had amazing stats, but wasn't a serious National Player of the Year candidate because 
of, of the direction Oklahoma went as the season progressed. And Marcus Howard finds himself in a similar situation right now. You know the best thing going for Marquette, don't you? Uh, I don't know where you're going with this, my man. You got to put 68 teams in oh, this thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> Hakeem Dermish. Shouts to Hakeem Dermish, uh, CBS Sports HQ host, who I guarantee you is listening to this on a Monday afternoon. He worked that line into one of our hits yesterday. On it's true. It's true. Not enough people realize that you got to put you got to put 68. You got to get to 68 somehow. And so Marquette will be in the field, but woo, uh, really went the the wrong way as uh, as Selection Sunday approaches so uh norlander mentioned it earlier and it's 100 percent correct kansas is going to be the number one overall seed in the ncaa tournament seems clear but uh which school is going to fill out the top line with the jayhawks we're going to get into that next but first uh, check this out robert half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring if you have open roles chances are you're feeling this too that's why you need robert half our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. So Kansas is going to be the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. That seems clear. But what schools will also be number one seeds? Right now, I think, obviously, Gonzaga is one of them. Who else you got on the top line, Orlando? Kansas, Gonzaga, what else? All right. First of all, next Sunday, when we do our Selection Sunday reaction podcast, and we're we're going to have, listen, for those who are, uh, loving the podcast. We love you too. Thank you for, you know, we're closing in on a million downloads in 2020 alone and you guys have been amazing. So um, you will enjoy the podcast stuff that we will put out over the course of 24 hours within the bracket releasing. And, and I think in our broad podcast show, I'm going to bring back what we had. I have it saved. I have not listened to it uh, in its entirety since then, but we made our predictions on one seeds like uh, six weeks back. I'll bring that back. I know I had Dayton as a one seed. Uh, that's the only thing I can I can remember. But as of right now, so are we predicting a week from now or are we saying right now? Right now at this moment and then also a week from now. All right, let's do it. All right, so Kansas number one overall seed now, and that will be the case uh, a week from now. Baylor I still have on the one line, I w- and I have it by – a narrow margin ahead of Gonzaga. Now, if Gonzaga does not... So right now, I would go Kansas, then Baylor, then Gonzaga, then Dayton, okay? And um, I will project that Gonzaga wins the auto bid. So then, in my opinion, I would have Kansas, Gonzaga, Baylor, Dayton. In that instance, uh, I'm just not convinced Dayton's going to win the A-10 tournament. Dayton is the one seed right now. It, How could you not be convinced Dayton's going to win the A-10 tournament? Who I else is going to win it? I, I, listen, March can get funky, okay? I mean, wh- you realize what month it is? What happens in this? Although, by the way, you you can't you, – you, 
that's more that's Rothstein's thing. You're all tweeting about March and this is March and stuff. That's Rothstein's thing. I've been doing that for a decade, my man. Rothstein was late to the party, but it's okay. Oh, yeah. get a t-shirt company yeah. then. Yeah. Get a t-shirt company then. It's a, you know, Are you accu- let me make this let me see if we're clear here. You're accusing Rothstein of 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 stealing this is March from you. No, I'm not accusing Rothstein of stealing this is March from me. I'm saying that for literally decades people have been talking about the amazingness that is in March within the context of March actually happening. And so it wasn't like Rothstein's was the first person to come along and be like, hey, it's March. No, not true. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that didn't happen. What if, what, what if Rothstein was the first person ever to realize that the month of March is March? <laughs> then Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> that's an insult that to the rest of like civilization. That we like 2,000 years. Nobody, yeah. nobody thought about it. And then, <laughs> then Rothstein came along. He's like, you know, this is March. Yeah, exactly. If, if people exactly. were like, what? It's we have- it is March. That's a, I don't know why nobody pointed that out before, but you're saying you did. Yeah. We, we, you know, we, the podcast hasn't gone down the T-shirt route yet, except the one instance. Do you remember? Do you remember the instance? <laughs> yes. Uh, somebody made us Tom Crean shirt. That's right. That's the only time. Yeah, that and that goes <laughs> what, back like four or five years, man. What was that about? It was God, the, Con- Tom Crean on a ladder. Tom, they Crean lost. The, they lost the game, but they cut down the nets. That was going to be the the statue of Tom Crean outside of assembly outside of Christian Watford Hall. Yes. the statue was going to be Tom Crean on a ladder. It yeah. still should be. As you far are as I'm correct. Concerned. You are correct. But potentially, yeah, we can uh, maybe get into that T-shirt game in, in some way or form. Um, I suppose that's not the worst idea out there. But uh, Dayton. Oh yeah, let me stop you here for a second. What? Dayton is 18-0 and 0 in the A10, beating the crap out of everybody, and you're not sure Dayton's going to win the A10. Those Obi- Dude, did you see? Did you Dude, see Obi Toppin? Obi Toppin, I, I, it is going. It is going to be. Uh, it is going to take mammoth performances from the likes of Luca Garza or like Miles Powell getting Seton Hall to the Final Four. Obi Toppin's the front runner for National Player of the Year at this point. We agree. Yes. Yes. But my man's windmill dunking through the legs Amazing. in a game, and I know it's just a game against GW, but still. No, whatever, man. They were actually in a they were in a tussle there through through twenty two, twenty three minutes, and then Toppin has like five dunks in a three minute span, including the dunk of the weekend, maybe the dunk of the month, the breakaway through the legs, windmill. Just he's the dude. dude. And that, that's not even the one that I mean. That is the one that got all the attention. The other one is the one that made me go, "Come on!" Uh, so he gets the ball in the block. Oh Did yeah, it's like, it's like he's posting up a seventh grader. It's like he's posting up a seventh grader. It was ridiculous. It's exactly like when you put a basket, like those ones that hang on a door in yes. your house. You know, you can put one on your door, and you're playing with. Like if I were playing with my with my uh, six year old, and I was like, and I and I post him up, and I just I just dunk over him because he's six, and I'm and I'm not six. That's what Obi Toppin looked like. Like you you never see that. Like you see people in transition do amazing dunks all the time, not between the legs, but whatever. You never see somebody big boy, another Division One athlete, or you rarely see it. And he just, like he was playing against a middle schooler. It was that, like to me that that was the one that made me go, come on. That, that like I assumed Obi Toppin could do a windmill dunk mm-hmm. through his legs. Like I, if you'd asked me yesterday at this time, you think Obi could do that? I'm like, yeah, pro- probably. But like, can you just get the ball on the block and dribble, dribble, dribble? Dunk on a guy. <laughs> that is totally ridiculous. It's just awesome, man. So Dayton's a one seed now. The team's competing with them. Um, San Diego State, because of its loss, hate to uh, hate to bring us into reality here. San Diego State's going to be locked on the two line. It can't it can't get to the one, and it will be. And that's by the way, 
beneficial to the Aztecs in that they won't have to go across country be the one seed in the East and and face potentially, you know, three teams, three other teams if the, if the higher seeds were to advance that have you know passionate fan bases that will pack that garden. Okay, so SDSU now uh, setting up to be the two seed in the West will play Gonzaga, be closer to home in its home state. So the loss stinks. You don't get the conference uh, tournament championship. That stinks. But maybe, maybe, maybe it's a better road. We wait and see. So Dayton's going to be fighting with the likes of Florida State. Um, Creighton. Creighton. That's probably it. I'm not seeing... Creighton would have to win the Big East. Florida State, if if Dayton were to lose in the A-10 and Florida State made it to the ACC title game, FSU really it might have a case in that in in that spot anyway. Um, but I got I got like a weird hunch that like Dayton's not going to win the A-10 tournament and Florida State's not going to win the ACC tournament. Can't explain it. Could easily, of course, be wrong. But here's my predictions. My statement now is Kansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, Dayton in that order. Selection Sunday, Kansas, Gonzaga, Baylor. Dayton, I'm going with it. Give me those flyers. Give me them on the one line. One line, East Coast, going to MSG. I'll see you there, hopefully with literally 17,000 other people, please. I've got the the top four in Sunday morning's top 25 and one would be my one seeds. It's in this order. Kansas, Gonzaga, Dayton, Baylor. You know, Baylor, obviously not playing well lately. They've taken some losses, uh, but they're still 11 and two in quadrant one opportunities, five and two in quadrant two. So they're 16 and four in Q1, Q2 opportunities. Like nobody, uh, nobody outside of my top four can even come close to matching that resume like Florida. And, and, and by the way, I don't think anybody's going to be able to match Baylor's resume on selection Sunday. Even if Baylor, I, I prefer Baylor not to take a bad loss, but the, the maximum amount of losses that Baylor is going to end up with um, five. Is, is five. Yeah. There's still going to be a one. I, I think there's still going to be a one seed. I think they're going to be a one, right? So I'm, con- and if we assume Dayton's you know, going to win the a 10, they're going to be a one. So I, I, the same four I've got right now, I, I think are going to be the four on Selection Sunday. Kansas, Gonzaga, Dayton, Baylor. Um, Florida State, like I said, already has more losses than um, than what Baylor can even end up with. And Florida State only has six Quadrant One wins. And the max they can add in the ACC tournament is two more Quadrant One wins. So the most Q1 wins Florida State can end up with is eight. That's still three fewer than Baylor, even if Baylor doesn't add another one. The, the one to watch is Creighton, I think. Or at least among the others to watch. Creighton, Creighton's got nine quadrant one wins right now, and they could add two more. So they could get to 11 in the Big East tournament, but they already have seven losses. Again, the max that Baylor's going to have is five. So, yeah, Kansas, Gonzaga, Dayton, Baylor. That'd be my four number one seeds right now, and I think that's going to be the four number one seeds on Selection Sunday. And you're exactly right about San Diego State. They're locked in a two. There's no way eight teams can pass them, and there's no way they can get into the top four. You're right. Um yeah, it's it's interesting how uh, the field has whittled like this. Uh, there have been a couple years recently where we've actually had a couple more candidates kind of vying heading into conference tournaments uh, to wiggle into that one line. Just seems a little bit a little bit tighter this season, but um, but yeah, I do I it, I think it'd be just great by the way just to get Dayton on the one line. Uh, just uh, they deserve they they're just awesome. No no losses in regulation. I know that they lack top end wins, but they have just been dominant in so many. 
in so many games against other teams. I, I do take stock into that uh, in general. Uh, now fourth in efficiency margin at Ken Palm in 29-2. Man, that's just a special season for the Flyers. They had game day there this weekend, and they were able to, uh, you know, they were able to capitalize that after an early fight from George Washington. Coincidentally, last time a team of the A-10 went wire-to-wire -wire without a loss was 06. Pops Mensa Bonsu and GW. Um, and, and now Dayton's the one to do it by beating GW. So things come full circle there. Thought it was interesting that um, in this season and on Saturday, Dayton gets to 29-2, goes 18-0, has its best season in ages. Uh, but its its prior coach found himself making headlines, uh, you know, a little bit to the west there for you know not having nearly as good of a season. But he he actually, in fact, mentioned uh, his days at Dayton in, amidst what became a viral rant. Nice transition, Norlander. So yeah, Wisconsin beat Indiana sixty fifty six on Saturday inside Christian Wofford Hall, and the Hoosiers dropped to nineteen and twelve overall, nine eleven nine and eleven in the Big Ten, and then Archie Miller decided to crap on Joe Lenardi for some reason. Here's what Archie said if you missed it. And you listen to all the characters on Sesame Street talk, and everyone gets all under, oh. It's like well, if you watch Sesame Street and you listen to the guys on Sesame Street, it's a children's show. Every bracketology is a children's show. Bottom line with our resume is it's strength of record, and that's undeniable. It's a top 25 strength of record. If you don't put in a top 25 strength of record team, with the wins that we have, you know, that somebody's going to have to answer some questions. But when you start to go through the bracketology and you listen to the Sesame Street cartoon guys on TV who need people to click and do all this stuff, the bottom line is strength of record. Who'd you play? Who'd you beat? And if you look at our wins, there's very few teams in the country that can say that they've beaten the Florida States, the Michigan States, the Ohio States, the Iowas, the Penn States, who clearly are in the field. So if you're beating six, seven teams in the field, should be in the field. Now, everyone's going to say you don't have a 500 record in the league. They've already stated that the 500 record in the league doesn't matter. It's your body of work. If you have a strength of record of top 25, you know, you played a good schedule and you beat good teams, you should be in the tournament. All right, Coach, thank you. Thank you. I don't know if that answered it. That was a lot. But I needed to get some. I needed to get something out. You know, when I was in the Atlantic 10, Joe Lenardi was my best friend. He used to help me all the time. When I went to Indiana, he needed to crap on Indiana the other day just so people would watch Sesame Street. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so that's Archie after Indiana was, uh, frankly, it blew the game uh, against Wisconsin, and he's frustrated. I, <laughs> I do love this time of year for the – uh, the lobbying and politicking from coaches, uh, you cling what, with what you can cling to. Um, what was your response to what Miller said and how he said it? Uh, he specifically targeted Lunardi uh, because Lunardi's the most prominent one. I mean, you know, the, the ESPN, ESPN2, they're on televisions all across these facilities there. Um, but bracketology can be found on any, our own Jerry Palm, any mainstream site. So he's also uh, kind of uh, going after... Uh, the bracketology methods in general, what was your uh, thoughts on what Miller said? I thought he was ridiculous. He sounded ridiculous. And I, I like Archie. And I hope that once that started to go viral and he listened back to himself, I hope he regretted it because he should. He sounded, he sounded ridiculous. He, it's, not, it's not a good look. There's even another part that wasn't part of that clip uh, some other outlet, a local outlet, had it when he's even off the dais, leaving the press room, 
and tells Joe Lunardi to go back in his trash can, effectively calling Joe Lunardi Oscar the Grouch, which is, it's just, it's just too much. Now, I was also told, um, and I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't know this, but I was told that Lunardi went on, so there's also some more information on, on background here. Lunardi went on Dan Dockett's radio show earlier this week, and Dockich has been an antagonist for Archie Miller for years. And within the context of that Lunardi hit, I think it was a generally a slam the program, slam Archie. And not that Lunardi was driving that, but he might have just been reinforcing, here's why Indiana uh, doesn't have a sturdy and strong resume overall. So some of it might have also been part of that as well, which I think is a which doesn't excuse what Miller said. Because it was just it's just the thing is. Lunardi, Palm, anyone that does this, they are trying to project committee behavior in the moment. While the selection committee hasn't even met yet, the selection committee will convene in New York City on Wednesday, and then from Wednesday morning until Sunday late afternoon, those people will spend essentially every waking minute and hour together building the bracket. They haven't done any of that yet. So the bracketologists are just merely saying, if the committee was convening now, this is how I believe they would seed the field. That is different from Lunardi and, frankly, what you and I do on this podcast where we offer our opinions about how we think a team should be seeded or should be in the field or not. They're two very different things. It is, it is the charge of a bracketologist to tell the general sports audience that's following this, here's where I think the committee's going to place you. So Miller made it way too personal and went over the line there, and I would hope that he could reach out to Lunardi and, and offer some sort of apology. He's also hot uh, because of his team, and it's, and that falls on him and his coaching staff, and I do think he knows that. I do also think that Indiana would be in the field right now, but I don't think Indiana wants to lose his first Big Ten tournament game because it's going to put itself in a tough spot. I don't have the bracket yet for you because we still have Big Ten tournament games to go. I have one more thought on this, though, GP. I did appreciate Miller bringing... Now, he's clinging to the one data point that he has, but he at least brought to... Uh, the forefront, uh, the strength of record, which he said top 25. They were actually 26. It doesn't really matter, but he was one off. As they re- as the metrics refreshed on Sunday, here's, what Indi- here's where Indiana sits, okay? 60th in net, 43rd in KPI, 39 in BPI, 39 in Ken Palm, 35th in Sagarin, and it's now 28th in strength of record. Strength of record is, I mentioned this just a few episodes ago, it is the least discussed of the six metrics, but it is a it is a fair metric. All it cares about, it's not predictive, all it cares about is who you have played. It balances who you've played against the rest of the field and looks at whether you won or you lost your game. It doesn't take into account margin of victory. It's not a flawless metric. It's not. But it's similar to another uh, highly discussed metric in the in the predictive world called wins above bubble. Those are fair evaluation tools on how you do versus the rest of the field. And within that context, Indiana has a very good claim to being a part of the field. If you're a top 30 strength of record team, then based on what you've accomplished, you deserve strong consideration. But Indiana is going to be going up against all of the other metrics as well. And it will be going, even if you hate it or if you love it, it will be going up against the eye test. And it's going to need to win at least one game in the Big Ten tournament, in my opinion, to make sure it's in the field. I don't have a problem with Archie making Indiana's case to be an at-large team to the NCAA tournament. Like that's what a coach probably should be doing, a coach of a bubble team at this point um, in the season. Same way a a coach of a team 
um, you know, battling for a one seed should probably um, use every opportunity he can to to make the case why you know the, the, his team belongs on the top line. So I got no issue with Art sitting there and talking about here's what we've done, here's our strength of record. We feel like we should be in. The committee's made this clear. The committee's made that clear. But to do all that while also crapping on Joe Lenardi just seems unnecessary, and it seems um, it seems petty. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it, and also, like again, I'll use the same word I used earlier: ridiculous. Like at some point in there, he says, "You know, Joe used to be my best friend when I was at Dayton," and I'm assuming that's like some A10 St. Joe's and, and right. Uh, yeah, I, and, that's what and, I picked up from it. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I took from it because Joe is a, a St. Joe's alum, I, I believe. So. Uh, you know, Joe used to be my best friend. Then I went to Indiana and now he's got a, you know, a crap on Indiana to get people to watch. Like what? Like, let, let, just let me help you here. As somebody who's been in this business for 20 years, if you want to get, if you're really just after getting people to pay attention to you, um, talk about Kentucky, talk about Duke. Uh, Indiana doesn't really move the needle that much nationally if we're telling the truth. So the idea that Joe Lenardi needed to do anything as it relates to Indiana to quote-unquote get people to watch is just patently absurd. And beyond that, he wouldn't even do it. And I'm not even going to bat for Joe here. Uh, I just I, – I know Joe is no different than Jerry Palm, is no different than I am when I do the top 25 and one. We're not trying to do anything other than be right. That's all any any of us want to be is right. The idea that Joe Joe Lenardi number one goal in all of this is to have a bracket as close to the actual bracket as possible on Selection Sunday. And so whatever he says about Indiana or literally anybody else, I'm going to trust. It's it's based on his extensive knowledge of what the selection process looks like and literally nothing else. And so for you as the coach of one of the biggest brands in basketball to be that uh, bothered by where Joe Lenardi or anybody else has you projected in the, in the bracket when in reality, you, sh- you know, um, the reason you're in this situation isn't because anybody's out to get you, but because you um, you've lost a whole bunch of games this season. Just seems ab- absurd to me. I, I was, I was, uh, I- I've known Archie a long time. I like him. I thought he would be a slam dunk hire at Indiana. I'm surprised it hasn't gone better than it's gone. I was embarrassed for him uh, when when he had that moment. And I know he'll have, you know, some people out there patting him on the back for standing up for the Hoosiers and crapping on Joe Lenardi. But it it seemed unnecessary. Like it seemed beneath him. It should be beneath him. Yeah, and. There's a there's a there's a there's a fine line to walk between lobbying for your team in your case, which I which honestly sometimes I uh, I get a kick out of what coaches got to got to do got to say uh, to make their case. It it doesn't really I don't think it makes that much of a difference on the selection committee, but that's part of this uh, that's part of the carnival at this time of year. But you know we're we're pretty much on the same page here. Indiana, by the way, four and ten in quad one. Five and two in quad two, and then it's four and zero and three, and then six and zero in quad four. Just as a quick comparison, Indiana's Q one through three record at this point is thirteen and eleven, and we mentioned say Texas Tech for example being ten and thirteen. Uh, these aren't you know these aren't the only things that we would use to to favor one versus the other, but I would put IU in over in the field over Texas Tech right now. Uh, but they gotta they gotta win. I, I 
I believe Indiana needs to win a Big Ten tournament game in order just to steady itself and not take on another loss. I think getting a, another win would uh, would go a long way. Maybe who, for all I know, it still could lose another one, get to 19 and 13, and and uh, you know, weirdly enough, if it, it got sent to Dayton with Archie Miller and having been there, that would be uh, something of a, an interesting uh, side plot. But um, but they lose. Wisconsin gets the win, and that was the first of what I'm sure will be three or four notable coaching press conference quotes over the next seven days as guys you know angle to get their teams in after they take tough losses. And for what it's worth, now Lenardi, after he updated, I don't. When I last checked, again we're recording this on Sunday morning. Palm had not updated his bracket yet, but Lenardi had. He's got Indiana as one of the last four teams in the bracket playing in Dayton, in the uh, in the first four. So that does suggest that Indiana better win yeah. a game at least in the Big Ten tournament, or else it could find itself on the wrong side of the bubble. And um, again. I'm sure Archie regrets it. I would hope that when he woke up on Sunday morning, he's like, eh, I went too far. I wish I wouldn't have done that. And I think it's also probably a byproduct of a guy under an incredible um, amount of pressure. You know, he's 26 and 32 now in three years in the Big Ten, uh, 54 and 43 overall as Indiana's head coach. He's missed the NCAA tournament in each of his first two years, obviously on the bubble now. Meantime, his former school is like on path to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Like, I don't know that that stings. I, I, I wouldn't even imply that, but it's a thing. Like, I see some Dayton fans, the same ones who were devastated when Arch left for Indiana, now like, ah, we're glad he's not here anymore. Like, you know, we're better, we're better now than we were when we had him, and we're better now than he is right now. And I will say this. Um, I saw some Indiana fans. You would think that Indiana fans would rally around their coach. I saw some Indiana fans that weren't rallying around their coach. They were like they they, you know, they were embarrassed by you know the way Archie acted after that that game on Saturday night. So it just a it, it just a bad look. And it re- did remind me. You remember when Sean Miller, his brother, obviously had the weird press conference moment with the television reporter from Phoenix who, you know, was reasonably asking about, you know, the FBI investigation slash NCAA stuff. And Sean was like, you know, I don't know exactly what he said, but it was like, we're not discussing that. Now you can go back to Phoenix. Like he and Sean. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like now Sean and Archie both had these moments. And I guess I'd say the same thing to Archie that I said about Sean at the time, which is like, you're going through it right now. Like this ain't really the time to pick fights publicly with people. You know, you probably need um, some some good stuff on your side. And acting the way Arch acted at that press conference on Saturday night doesn't do him any good. You remember Brian Wardle last year at Bradley. Bradley like, Brand. Yeah, exactly right. So Brian Wardle, this is a great story. Like Bradley's going to the NCAA tournament. But because Brian Wardle picked an unnecessary fight with a longtime local reporter, like you and I wouldn't be discussing Bradley at all. And yet there we were making Bradley jokes. And and then I, to the extent anybody cared, but it was like, man, I hope, you know, and I didn't personally think this, but I, there was some of this out there. Like, oh, I hope that coach gets it handed to him in the NCAA tournament. Like Brian Wardle did more damage to the Bradley brand than that columnist did simply by picking an unnecessary fight with somebody who was just doing their job. And to bottom line it, that that's what Archie did on Saturday. He picked an unnecessary fight with somebody who is just doing his job. 
and who does it, you know, well. Otherwise, he wouldn't still be on TV after all of these years. And and also, like Joe's a good guy. Like I don't really know anybody who doesn't like Joe. Like you, you, there are some people in our industry. You hear things about him, and you go, "Yeah, that guy's a jerk. Yeah, that guy's the worst." Um, no, nobody, best I can tell, no, I've never heard that about Joe Lenoir. He's like a decent guy who's just doing his job. And for you to crap on him and make it as personal as Archie made it, just a just a bad look. I, I not only do I hope, I actually believe that if it hasn't happened already, it'll happen in the next 24 hours. Um, I, I would assume Arch is going to reach out to Joe and, and apologize and will probably address it publicly, a little like Nick Saban did with Maria Taylor yeah. last football season, because I can understand getting caught up in the moment. I, I won't pretend that I've never been caught up in the moment, but it, I, I hope Arch is, is, is good enough to recognize after the fact, maybe after a good night's sleep, that he went too far and that he needs to make it right because he did go too far and, and he does need to make it right. I, I agree. And Indiana will be at uh, – Indiana could be one of those teams that's at the mercy of a bid thief or two in the coming week or so. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that uh, as we wrap the pod here. So just as a reminder, shouts to the champions of the A-Sun, Big South, and Missouri Valley. Those are going to be wrapped up after we pod here. And if whatever's relevant there, we'll get to it on the next podcast. We might even have a little bit of a wonky schedule over the next week given the nature of the games, travel, all that good stuff, but we will still be delivering plenty for you. And then just as a heads up, Monday, there's only one auto bid. That's going to be the SoCon. We'll see if East Tennessee State can get that auto bid, and if it doesn't, I'm of the belief that East Tennessee State should be in no matter what, so we could have a bid thief situation in the SoCon, although that league, that tournament, unfortunately, the Furman and Greensboro, they, they both lost, so it didn't do himself any favors. And then Tuesday... Five auto bids will go out. You'll have uh, the WCC in Vegas. You'll have the Summit League on ESPN2. WCC is ESPN. ESPN2 will also have the Northeast Conference. I believe that's going to be Robert Morris hosting that title game. ESPN2 will also have the Horizon League. And then on Monday, we'll have the semis. And Tuesday, we'll have the title game on CBS Sports Network. You got the CAA. I think I know a fellow who's going to be in the building. I'm going to be in the building in Washington, D.C. I'll be on sideline uh, CAA semifinals and championship game just like last year. Last year it was in, I think, Charleston, South Carolina, maybe. I don't know, somewhere. It was somewhere in South Carolina. I'm it was sad. Charleston. Was it Charleston? Okay. Yes. I wasn't there, and even I know this, but yeah, good times. <laughs> okay, I thought it was Charleston. And uh, this year in D.C., so I'm flying to D.C. on Sunday night. We'll be there on Monday, Tuesday, and then flying back home on Wednesday. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. It should be uh, terrific. Got a podcast review. Let's, let's, let's get to it. So every Sunday, I pull a podcast review from Apple, um, Apple Podcasts. So I appreciate you guys leaving those there. And uh, I, I, I read them all. Can't can't uh, can't read them all on the podcast, but I do read them all. And this one comes from a Baker two three seven five star review. That's how you get read on the podcast. Here's what a Baker two three seven wrote. He wrote, "As the father of a newborn baby, I don't have as much time as I used to to listen to podcasts. But the Ion College Basketball Podcast is is the one podcast I make sure I listen to every single time, every Monday." Wednesday and Friday, I tell my wife to go take a nap or spend some time for herself, and I'll take the baby. She thinks it's because I'm a good husband, but it's really so that I have free time with my son to listen to Parrish and Norlander. This podcast is not only hilarious and informative, but it is making me a better husband and father, and you better believe that when my son can talk, I will teach him to say, 
Shouts to Devin Downey. That's from A Baker 237 So that's sweet, isn't it? It's very sweet. We appreciate that. The reviews are actually coming in at such a level where we are not going to run out because there is a fella in Poland who was in the archives. <laughs> Did you see that one? Some of these reviews are unbelievable, man. So um, we appreciate that. On their next pod, we'll get to some of the midweek questions. You guys are leaving wonderful reviews. Thank you again for uh, continuing to do that. Uh, it brings us good pleasure. And, yes, you, th more than anything, it will give us stuff for the off season when the game's slow and we'll have uh, some entertainment value there. But highly appreciate that. We look forward to giving you more pods uh, later this week and then a ton once we get to the tournament. Interestingly, the podcast, our podcast, is making A. Baker 237 a better father and husband. Makes me a worse father and husband. Yeah, how about that? Look at the way that goes. <laughs> it's weird how that works, yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? If we can make that uh, zero-sum exchange for the betterment of the universe, I suppose it's worth it. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MFT. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to A. Baker 237. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. And we will talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What about the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? New NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.